We're in the David series. We're in the series of life with David. And I want to give a little bit of historical context before we get into the nitty gritty today. Um, we're going to be, we, we're in the books of Samuel, the books of Chronicles and the Psalms. Um, and what I wanted to mention before we go into it is there's a way to read these. There's a way to look at these. These ancient stories and songs come from the Old Testament and the wisdom books part of your Bible. I meant to bring a real Bible because all my verses are in my notes. So I could fold it in half and let you see like the Old Testament versus the New Testament. But these stories were written at a time when God's people were under the old covenant. So civilization was different back then. Social norms, practices were different. And at the time, the way God and his people related to one another was new and transformative. It was this old covenant, or it was this new covenant. At that time, it was new. And we called, it's also known as the Mosaic Law. So today we call it the Old Covenant, and you find it in the Old Testament. But when Jesus came, he introduced a new covenant. Galatians 5 and Hebrews 8 speak about how the new covenant surpasses the old covenant, and the old covenant is almost, it uses the words obsolete. It's that strong of language. So today, when we read the stories of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, we interpret them through the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. So why do I tell you this? Because it's about to get bloody. <laughs> it's about to get gory and violent and all this stuff. There's slavery, there's polygamy, there's murder, there's just all this stuff going on. There are idols and sacrifices and all this stuff going on. And today we can be like, wait a minute, where's this? How does this work with the new covenant? And, and we're going to unpack that as we go along. Back then, David didn't have Jesus's teachings about praying and loving for our, praying for and loving our enemies. David hadn't experienced the freedom that we have because of what Jesus did on the cross when he put an end to these vicious cycles of revenge and bloodshed and unforgiveness. Now we have forgiveness that we can release to our enemies and the peace of God and the ministry of reconciliation that we can offer to other people. So when we read about the Philistines and the Israelites going after each other, Let's remember Jesus's words, like when he stood before Pontius Pilate, before Jesus went to the cross. And this is what he says in John 18, 36. Caleb, could you put up that? Thank you. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of the world. Jesus has a different way of dealing with sin and the problems in culture. He introduced a new covenant way of life. The apostle Paul would say it like this to the Ephesians. He would say in Ephesians 6, 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So it's not a physical fight, it's a spiritual fight. 
Now, why then would we even teach out of the Old Testament? Why would we tell these stories about the battles of the Philistines and the Israelites? Why would I even share those if they're part of the Old Covenant? And one reason is 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, where Paul says to Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There is stuff we can learn from the Old Testament. There is so much invaluable stuff we can learn about the character of God and the way God relates to people, even in the Old Testament. Because although times have changed, human nature has not changed. We are, oh my goodness, so much the same. Don't you wish the older you get that the less that was true? But we're just human. We're human. We're earthy. We're flesh and bone. And these stories help us understand how God has sought out humanity over and over and over again. And then how does humanity respond to God over and over and over again? We can learn from this. I've been reading uh, Eugene Peterson's book about the life of David called Leap Over a Wall. I love Eugene Peterson's writing style and work because he feels so just down to earth and real. It's like you're getting in the mud in the manger. You're getting in the middle of the battle. It's just, I just like how real his language is. And he uses this term with David about him dealing with God. He deals with God, which is like he's doing stuff with God. He's interacting with God. He's having conflict with God. He's just, you know, in there with God. <laughs> That's how the language feels to me. But this is his quote about David and from Leap Over a Wall. We're never more alive than when we're dealing with God. And there's a sense in which we aren't alive at all until we're dealing with God. David deals with God. <laughs> As an instance of humanity in himself, he isn't much. David has little wisdom to pass on to us on how to live successfully. He was an unfortunate parent and an unfaithful husband. <laughs> From a purely historical point of view, he was a barbaric chieftain with a talent for poetry. <laughs> But David's importance isn't in his morality or his military prowess, but in his experience of and witness to God. Every event in his life was a confrontation with God. Doesn't that, isn't that comforting? Isn't that encouraging? Like, because I have some ups and downs, but as long as I'm dealing with God in the process, oh my goodness, does that bring me hope? So here we are today. We want to experience and witness God in our midst. And we're going to talk today about the Philistines. Because last week we talked about Samuel, one of David's leaders and mentors looking over him. Today we're going to talk about some of David's enemies. Because we all have enemies, right? Yes. And so we can learn from our enemies and the things that we get into with our enemies. So... Pray with me if you'd like. We're going to pray uh, the prayer that we've been praying recently. Holy Spirit, our teacher, as we continue worship and explore your word today, would you awaken our hearts, expand our thinking, and shape who we are today and what we do tomorrow. In the name of Jesus, 
Amen. So our title today is Dealing with God. How do you deal with God? There's lots of options. You can ignore God. You can resist God. You can antagonize God. That's Paul on the road or Saul on the road to Damascus. And Jesus, Brian was reminding us of this story the other day. And Jesus is like, why are you persecuting me? We could do that. We can welcome God. We can embrace God. How do we deal with God? So we'll start in 1 Samuel chapter 4 in a story about the Ark. Now, in case you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant is outside of Raiders of the Lost Ark, we already talked about that. <laughs> it was a piece of um, furniture in the tabernacle that the Israelites used, and it represented the presence of God, the manifest presence of God. It represented the place we come to worship, the place we come to um, offer our lives, to give. That's what the ark represented, is the presence of God. And yes, it was a box with four poles and two cherubim with their wings reaching out over each other, like in Indiana Jones. <laughs> but the ark represented God's desire to dwell with his people. That was in the Old, Old Testament. That's what it represented. Today, we know that he dwells in our hearts, right? He dwells among us, in us, within us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But at the time, this was a big deal. At the time of David and Samuel and the Philistines, this ark was serious stuff. This was like, this, this was the reminder of the presence of God. So 1 Samuel 4.1 opens with, this verse, Samuel's words went out to all the people of Israel. So we know Samuel is active. We know God's voice is active. Samuel's going all over Israel, talking with everyone. We know they have access to the voice of the Lord at this point. Then the next verse, it says, the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. I didn't do a uh, PowerPoint for that. It's just, they went out to fight against the Philistines. <laughs> it doesn't say why. It just says they were at war. I guess it's just what you do back then. You just go to war. I don't know. They were all at war. It was just life back then. And they go out. Um, the Israelites say, we're going to go to war against the Philistines. And the Philistines go out to meet them. And what happens? They kill 4,000 Israelites. Just like that. That's the way it feels like when you're reading it in 1 Samuel 4. So the remaining Israelite soldiers, they return to camp. They're devastated. They're dejected. They're sad. And the elders of Israel gather together and they're like, this is what they say, 1 Samuel 4, 3. Why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh. Let's bring God's presence so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. Seems like a good idea, doesn't it? We're off to battle. Let's just bring the Lord's presence along. Hold on a minute. Did they stop and actually ask the Lord how the Lord felt about this? And a lot of the passages, when, people of, when the people of Israel have a problem, they all stop and say, let's inquire of the Lord but not in this passage. In this passage, they're like, what's wrong? We've been defeated. 
let's get God's, let's get God's presence and go. And they don't ask him his strategy. They don't ask him his thoughts. They're just like, let's go after it. Well, maybe did God even want him to respond? Did God even want them in battle? We don't know. It just seemed like a good idea to go. So they go to Shiloh, they get the ark, and here's what happens. Verse 5 for Samuel 4. When the ark of the Lord's covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, they were afraid. A God has come into the camp, they said. Oh no, nothing like this has ever happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hands of these mighty gods? So in some of our Bible stories, men, they rout the enemy just with that. That's not quite what happens here. <laughs> Instead, the Philistines rally. They're like, oh, let's do this. We got to gear up. Come on, be tough. Let's fight. Let's be men. Let's go out there. Let's just stomp on those Israelites. And you know what? They do. And they kill 30,000 Israelites. Those are some serious losses, according to 1 Samuel 4. <clears throat> Excuse me. Not only do they kill 30,000 foot soldiers, but Eli, Samuel's mentor's sons, Eli's sons are both killed. The ark of God is captured. The presence of God is captured by the Philistines. And everyone is so distraught, they, they run home to their tents. Everybody's disbanded. When Eli hears his sons have died, he falls over and dies of shock. Eli's daughter-in-law, when she hears the news, she goes into labor and gives birth to a son, but she dies as well. And the people with her, the woman with her, names the son Ichabod, which means the glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Ichabod. The Israelites thought they could bring God along on their campaign raise up a shout, shake the ground, and be on their way. But what happened? They were annihilated, and the ark, the very manifest presence of God, was taken by the Israelites' enemies. Could this story suggest to us that it's possible to be presumptuous in our dealings with God? I think the story would suggest so. I was telling a story the other day to Monica, and I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> this reminds me of, well, I'll tell the story. It's about pizza and paper plates. When I was younger and my friend was getting married, I was hosting a bridal shower for her. She lived in another state. I was so excited. I was really young. And I just wanted to throw her the very, very, very best bridal shower you possibly could imagine. And I guess in my mind at the time, this was a long time ago, give me grace, it meant a really kind of fancy tea party with china and candles and special food and just lots of effort and details. But she had actually very clearly told me, she said, I just want pizza and paper plates. But I was like, no way. 
I'm going all out for you. I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you the very best I have. And looking back, I think subconsciously, it was my own insecurity and my own um, kind of performance in like, I want to throw a good party. And I want all the other guests to know that I can throw a good party. And I'm going to do this this way. And I was insistent and I got her mom involved. I just did all this stuff and it was a beautiful party. <laughs> After it was done, she said, thank you so much, but I really just wanted pizza and paper plates. What's worse, what's worse is that I was offended <laughs> because she didn't appreciate my efforts. Let's just say Ichabod, the glory departed. <laughs> Sometimes, now, my friend was not my enemy by any means, right? But the enemy was actually my own issues, my own insecurity, my own things. And I'm bringing them to this table and I want to solve this problem my way. I want to solve this blessing. I want to even do this blessing my way. My friends is like, for relationship, all I need is pizza and paper plates this time. So sometimes, how do we deal with God? Do we lament defeat? Do we rush into a new strategy? Do we say a worried prayer? Do we say an elaborate fancy prayer? Do we figure out our most impressive strategy? Do we raise a shout? Do we shake the ground? Maybe Jesus just wants pizza and paper plates. Having the ark, so they, the Philistines took off with the ark, right? And it did not go well for them. In 1 Samuel 5, they're like, we got the magic box. We got the box of power. I don't know. What is it? We, we got the, we got the cube, right? Isn't that in Avengers? There's some like cube. I don't know. We got it. So they bring it into their temple and they put it in their temple. And you know what? Their God falls on his face. Dagon falls on his face. And they're like, oh, and they try it again. And, oh, this isn't working out. Well, let's get this box out of here. They take the representation of God's presence to one of their villages and everyone gets sick with tumors. And they're like, oh, that's not working out. Well, we'll take it over there. Try again. Everyone gets sick with tumors. It's still not working out. The ark isn't the magic charm they were banking on. I thought it was interesting that Aaron said God isn't a genie today. We were talking, I was talking with Brian about that. I keep talking with Brian about stuff. And he talked about, we want God to be a genie. When he was talking about, remember when he shared his testimony about getting over anxiety, it didn't just happen like that. It's been a journey. It's been a transformation process. And he's getting free of anxiety. He's like, God isn't a genie. The Philistines we're hoping he was. And they decide, oh, this isn't working out. So they put the ark on a cart with two cows and just trust that it's going to get back to Israel. Miracle, it gets back to Israel. Woohoo! The ark is back. Not so fast. It actually lands in a village with Levites. They should know how to respond to the presence of God when the presence of God comes. But what do they do? First Samuel 6, 19. 
says, the Lord killed 70 men from Beth Shemesh because they looked into the ark of the Lord. They're like, ooh, what's in here? <laughs> and the people mourned greatly because of what the Lord had done. Then they say, who is able to stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? They cried out, where can we send the ark from here? Oh, my goodness. We can read these verses and it can seem harsh. Is this God too hard to please? Is God a temperamental God? What's up with this? What's up with the presence of God? But in each of these stories, nobody's treating God's presence for who God is. They're treating God's presence kind of for what they want as this genie in a box. They're not being relational. They're being um, transactional, like the gods, like the foreign gods. If I feed you, you'll give me this. If, if I do this, you'll do that. 1 Samuel 7, verses 1 through 4. Oh, wait. Yeah, that's right. This is wise. The men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord. They brought it to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord. And the ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim a, a long time, 20 years in all. They waited. Then all of the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their bales and asterisks and served the Lord only. Here's what's happened. The presence is back. What's the first thing they do? They slow down. <laughs> they slow down. They're like, let's just wait on the Lord. Let's wait till we get wisdom. Let's wait and see what God wants to do. They waited 20 years. 20 years they, they stayed away from war with the Philistines. That's not so bad, is it? Next, all the people turned to the Lord with all their hearts in humility, trusting in God. There's this humility that comes with the way we represent God, the way we handle the presence of God, the way we speak about the presence of God. And they rid themselves of the foreign gods and fertility gods. That's Baal and Asherah were part of this fertility cult. This was the way that we could control the harvest and production and our provision. They were relying on these foreign gods for power and control and provision instead of relying on God, trying to produce for themselves. But they said, no, we're getting rid of all that. We're not doing that anymore. We're going to rely on the Lord. So later, Samuel gathers them to intercede to God for help from the Philistines. They're like, okay, we might not be at war with the Philistines, but they're still in our territory. So how are we going to be done with these Philistines? And they bring it to the Lord. 
And he says, while, and while they're gathered, while they're saying, Lord, would you help us deal with our enemies? They confess to all the areas where they had sinned, where they were relying on these other gods, where they were not turning to the Lord. And it says that Samuel cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. Verse 10, when Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. It's interesting. While they're worshiping, while they're confessing, while they're praying, the Philistines are like, wait a minute, don't be doing that. I'm going to distract you from this. I'm coming after you. But that day, the Lord thundered <laughs> with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. Hallelujah. They were routed. So the Philistines were subdued. Oh, 1 Samuel 7, 13 says the Philistines were subdued and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. So the Lord was their defender. The Lord protected them from the Philistines. They weren't doing it in their own strength, on their own time, in their own way. There were no body counts that you read in this section. And there was also peace. It wasn't just peace with the Philistines. It was also peace with the Amorites. The Israelites changed how they were dealing with God. They, were, they came in humility. They came in trust. They came in relationship. Remember, remember when you feel the enemy crouching in, when you fear darkness, when you feel fear, when you fear, when you feel things coming in, that your battle isn't against flesh and blood. It isn't against other people. I know I have battles all the time where I, I get mad at people. I get so mad or I get hurt or resentful or attempted to be bitter or tempted to fight back or lash out or whatever it is. And I was like, wait a minute. That's not the battle. The battle is in my heart, me before the Lord. Lord, let me come to you and get right with you and ask you to deal with these things in your time, in your way. Um, we all have enemies in our lives, things that come after our territory, trying to steal our peace and our provision. How do we deal with God in our times of need? Do we pause? I can ask these questions of myself. Do I need to pause? Do I need to turn to the Lord and ask God the questions first? Am I walking in humility for real? Do I have any foreign gods I need to get rid of? Are there things I'm putting my trust in that aren't God? Am I trying to be right? Do I have something to prove? Do I have, to, am I trying to protect my status or my territory? Like, rrr. Am I flexing? Do I need to be impressive? What am I doing here? Am I just adding Jesus to my war strategy? Or does my strategy come from him? There's a big difference. How do we deal with God? 
God wants to be in the trenches with us, not tossed around like a talisman. So one of, I shared this story yesterday at our children's church brunch because I was just, we were talking and I was reminded of it and I was like, oh, this reminds me of this today. Um, I always loved Corky when he'd talk about the reason they didn't have a curfew at their house. They never had a, they had two sons, now adults, they've got grandkids now, but they didn't have a curfew. And the reasoning was this, Corky's like, I want to talk with them. <laughs> I want to know where they're going. I want to know who they're with. I want to know what they're doing. And I want to, it's like he wants to negotiate with them and deal with them and be with them and relate to them. And I hope I'm representing this correctly. <laughs> He's giving me a little nod. <laughs> He, it, one of a great parenting tip, he'd be like, what happens? Like, say they're going to this venue to do this thing. You're like, what happens if this happens? How are you going to respond? And if your friends tell you to do this, what are you going to do? And it's like every, maybe not every night out, obviously, because his kids would grow and trust and responsibility and all of those things. But he'd just take those opportunities because he wanted to deal with them. He wanted to be with them. He wanted to talk with them. He wanted to see how they were growing and maturing. So that's a hard way. It's so much easier to have a curfew. Be back by 10. If not, you're in trouble. That's easier. Discussion after discussion after discussion. That's dealing with one another, being in relationship with one another talking things out. It's maturing work. So I'm going to skip that next slide, Caleb. I'm going to skip it. So for a while, the Israelites get it. They remain under Samuel's leadership. But in 1 Samuel 8, this is when we're introduced to the idea of King Saul. They turn away from God again. They start going back after foreign gods. They start looking for other ways of doing things. And so now it's years later, and all the elders from Israel come to Samuel, and this is what they say. You're old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. The people didn't like the way it was working. They didn't like hearing from God from Samuel. They didn't want to hear the voice of the Lord this way. They didn't want to deal with God the way God was dealing with them. So they may, they asked for a new way to deal with God. Give us a king. And I mean, I feel for Samuel. I, I think he feels rejected. I think he feels disappointed. That's why God tells him, don't worry. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Aw. God and Samuel having a little grieving moment. <laughs> but I think it's a serious grieving moment. Sometimes we want a king who is like the other nations. We want these gods. 
the, the way the other nations do it, the way they hear from God. Give us a king to lead us. But God wants to deal with us. He wants to be the king of our heart. He doesn't want us to have kings of this world. He doesn't want us to have the gods of this world. God wants to be the king of our heart to deal with us. It's interesting. The Lord lets us have what we want sometimes. The Lord let his ark be taken. The Lord let them have a, lets them have a king. And it's painful. The consequences are not great. <laughs> but his heart is to be the king of our hearts. He wants the word made flesh, Jesus, in our life. So I'm just going to close. Um, do you want to come on up with the band, with the worship team? We're going to just sing the king of my heart. And um, I just pray that we would ask the Lord to show us this week. Who's the king of my heart? Who's, who am I trusting in? What am I, am I adding God to my strategy? Or am I coming to God to lead me on the waters? Am I coming to Jesus to take me out? to places I haven't been before. What is my, how am I dealing with God? And maybe the questions are completely different for you, but just ask the Holy Spirit this week, show me how I deal with you and how I respond to when you deal with me. How am I responding to your dealings with me? So let's stand and pray. Psalm 59, 1, David says, deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Lord, I just pray um, for us individually that you would deliver us from our enemies. We have things, sin that tries to entangle us, like we read in Hebrews 12. We have things that feel like they're um, just coming after us. And we say, would you be the king of our hearts? Help us not look to other things, other people, but be the king of our heart. We want to hear your word. We want to hear your voice. Would you show us how you want to deal with the situation, how you want to deal with the enemy? We want to be in this with you. We want to be dealing with you and you dealing with us in this process. In Jesus' name, amen. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the rain. 
joining us today and if you would like prayer we have a prayer team who's going to be at this table over here you can reach out online also um, if you don't have never had Jesus as the king of your heart and you want to make Jesus the king of your heart and you want to pray with someone about that be sure and come to the table or talk to me or um, another person that you might have come with today we want to make sure you know how to start dealing with God in a new way, in a transformative way. So um, God bless you today. We wanna, we'll gather around the cans to bless them as they, as they head um, back east. And um, just God bless you all. Thank you.